Hello again to everyone. I'm thankful for another opportunity by the grace of God that we have to study and look into the Word of God. I recognize it's been quite some time since we've had a Bible study posted on the podcast. I felt it necessary to to do these. What I'd like to have is a series of three, at least for now, and answer some of the questions that there are uh, regarding what we believe and why we believe it. Certainly it's good to be established in the Word of God and in the Scripture, and uh, regardless of accusation or belief, my desire is to believe the Scripture. Um, and if that crosses what I've believed in the past, then I, I honestly would desire to believe what the Bible says over top of anything and everything else. And that's what we strive to do. Uh, so I'd like to look at uh, several scriptures, and that's where we're going to be. We're going to be all over the book. The benefit of having a podcast is you can pause it. Uh, you can come back to it. You can rewind it. You'll be able to go back through and listen and and look at some of these scriptures yourself. And I pray that you would do so and consider what the Word of God says. We'll just do our best to look at these scriptures that I've tried to gather together. And uh, I, I won't add my opinion. If we could just get the meaning of these words and what exactly the Word of God is saying. So the, the first... Uh, the first study today, what we would like to look at is the condition of man after the fall. And is man uh, corrupted completely? Or is man a free moral agent? And I don't know how everyone would define a free moral agent, but this this is the way I would define it. The best definition that I could gather together is that man has the ability and the capacity to do that which is right and pleasing in the sight of God, whether that be works. And I realize not everyone believes man has the ability to do good works, but that's part of this free moral agent or that man has the capacity and ability to believe in God and himself. So is man a free moral agent, or is man completely corrupted? Now, I'm not going to answer that. Let's try to gather some scripture together and see what the Bible says. So the start of it, you've got to start in Genesis. And we're all very familiar with what occurs in Genesis chapter number 3, chapter number 4, um, where you see man, the creation of the world, man placed in the garden, and there man is uh, given one commandment, and Adam breaks that commandment, and we understand that right there, in Adam, Mankind fail. Now, what does it mean to be fallen? Well, in, in Romans chapter number five, 
and verse number 12, I believe we can start to see what it means and what and all happened in Adam in the garden. Romans 5, verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 5 and verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So in these scriptures, I believe we see, uh, let's just, I, I won't even say I believe, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So in Adam's transgression in the Garden of Eden, sin entered in, and it entered in, you know, to the world is sin in the trees and in the rivers and in the lakes. Uh, I, I believe what you could see right there is sin entered into mankind and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. So Adam's one transgression led to the fall of every man and every woman that would be born of the seed of Adam from that time until the end of the world. His sin affected everyone and death is passed upon all men because all have sinned. And he's not saying there, and we'll see this in a minute in some other scriptures, He's not saying that we each individually have our own fall the first time that we sin, but it's evident, what he's saying is it's evident that this death was passed on to every man because that every man has sinned. And if you'll look up that word for, that's what you'll see. It's a connection of the two thoughts. So it's evident that everyone fell in Adam because everyone has sinned. And even beyond that, because everyone has died. And so from there, you can look deeper there in Romans 5, a wonderful chapter uh, explaining the fall in Adam and the victory in Christ and comparing and contrasting the two. But Adam sinned, and every man failed. And he says there, even before the law. So the law came years, thousands, after Adam fell there in the garden. And yet, still from Adam to Moses, man was dying. So even with the absence of the law, per se, Sin was still present, man was still accountable, and man was still dead. 
the law did not kill man by making him guilty. Man was guilty in Adam. And his one offense, by the offense of one, so by Adam's one sin, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So Adam sinned and every man after him was condemned in Adam's sin. Nobody else born of Adam's seed had the opportunity that Adam had. We were not uh, uh, free from corruption. But in Adam we fell. In Adam we died. And so judgment is upon all men to condemnation. For since by man came death, Adam was the source of death to the race of mankind. I, I realize that this verse in Matthew, he's not talking about this exactly, but I believe you can see uh, an explanation of Adam in it. Matthew seven seventeen. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So if you, if you think about the parable there, and you make Adam a tree, when he fell, he became a corrupt tree, and all of his seed after him a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. It can only bring forth evil fruit. And so in Adam, the seed was corrupted and every tree after him, every man, every woman after Adam was corrupted from the beginning. And I, I don't think that there's much of a, a question of that there. I, I don't think people would argue the fact that Man is a sinner from birth. It's not uh, waiting till a point in my life that I sin and then I become a sinner. Rather, it is that I sin because I am a sinner. That's what he's saying in Romans 5.12. Death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. The reason I sin is because death was passed unto me from my mother and father. And if you follow that line, follow that line all the way back, it goes all the way back to Adam. So sin was passed down from the very beginning from Adam. And we've got scripture to prove that this was from birth. So in Psalm 51, verse 5, I guess one of the most familiar scriptures on this topic. David says, and this is David repenting, and he's going to recognize what he is before God. And he's really, he's confessing himself before God. So Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So David recognizes that from conception, he was brought forth in sin. He was a sinner at birth by the sin of Adam in the garden. Death was passed on 
even to David, even in conception, shapen in iniquity. So there he is being formed in the womb. And he goes even farther than that. In sin did my mother conceive me. So that corrupt tree can only bring forth fruit that is corrupt. And David is going to be born corrupt. Again, in Psalm 58, verses 2 and 3. Yea, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as they be born, speaking lies. So from the womb, the wicked are sinful. They are fallen from birth, not waiting on a time that we choose what's right or wrong, and then we fall, but fallen from birth. And there is the explanation of why you do not have to teach a child to lie or to rebel or to pitch a fit selfishly when it doesn't get its own way. The reason is that we as mankind are fallen from birth. Again, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Again, Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So I realize there's, there's several other scriptures and really several just in Proverbs itself on this topic. But why is it that we have to reprove and discipline and correct our child because foolishness is bound in his heart. Foolishness is bound in her heart. It's from birth. They're corrupted by the nature of sin and we don't have to teach them to sin, but if we want them to do the right thing, there has to be reproof and correction brought upon their life. And we understand exactly what he's saying in Proverbs 29, that if you leave a child to himself, they're going to bring shame. A child without any correction, a child without any reproof, a child that is left to his own way, he, he cannot choose what's good. Though some children may have different inclinations than others, on the whole, they will go astray if they are left to themselves. And that's why there's so much labor and effort put in as parents to teach and correct the children. You can trace the problem all the way back to the garden, to the first sin of Adam, and there is where that began. Adam's transgression. Man died. Death passed upon all. He was fallen and corrupt from that point onward. So that means now, if this is true, that man, and when I say man, I mean mankind, 
That includes men and women. That's everyone that's born of the seed of Adam. And remember the perfect Lord Jesus, he was not born of the sin of Adam. He came through the womb of a woman, but by the seed of the Holy Spirit of God. So he was not born in the fallen nature that we are born in. And so man from birth is a sinner and he's got no ability or opportunity to prevent it. And, you know, man doesn't argue that that's not fair. That's that's the way it is. And I don't know how you can deny that. So man from birth does not have the free moral agency in this regard to choose what's good and what's right. But we know that every child that's born is going to be a sinner and needs direction and correction and reproof in their life. And if you don't give that reproof, then they're going astray. So see, in Adam, all die without fail. Adam's sin corrupted the whole of mankind from birth. By nature, in the flesh, there's not a moment in time in man's life that he's not corrupt and that he can do anything about it. So man is man's in a terrible state. That's why that's why there must be uh, uh, action from the outside in order for man to be helped. And we'll get to that in the future. But let's look at a few scriptures now through the Bible that speak about the condition of man. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and here we are nine generations from Adam. You can follow that in Genesis chapter 5. You can follow the generations from Adam to Noah and we're nine generations away here. And this is the condition of man, nine generations from Adam. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So notice where God's focus is here in Genesis. His heart, the imagination of the thoughts of his heart. So man is more than just an outward sinner, but that outward sin is a manifestation of the corruption that's in the heart. And that's what the Lord Jesus was trying to get the Pharisees and scribes and even his disciples to see in the Gospels when the Lord says it's from the heart that precedes evil. These adulteries and murders and all of these sins, the problem is that there's an inward corruption there that's leading to it. And God, as he looks on man in Genesis chapter 6, God says every thought and every imagination of man's heart is evil continually. So man is inwardly corrupt. And that inward corruption 
manifests itself in outward wickedness. I sin outwardly because of the corruption that is inward. In Psalm 5, verse number 9, there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. And so again, you see, and you can connect this with what the Lord Jesus is saying, the inward part is wicked. The inward part is corrupt. Therefore, their mouth is an open sepulcher. So that's an open grave. So what's coming out of an open grave? The stench and the smell of death and corruption is coming out. And the reason it's coming out of the open sepulcher is because there's death inside of it. And so man is inwardly dead, and that's the reason that corruption is coming out of the mouth. The problem again is an inward problem with sin. And they flatter with their tongue. So who are they flattering? They do flatter other people. But we're going to see it in a scripture in just a few minutes that it's their self that they flatter. Really, they think themselves to be better and more righteous than they really are. They are lying and flattering their own self. Self-deceiving. I don't have to have a man to deceive me. I'm self-deceiving. We're going to see that later too. In Psalm 10, verse number 4, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not at all in his thoughts. So the wicked, who is wicked? Is he just talking about a select few? Or is he talking about everyone here? Mankind in his wickedness. This is everyone, and we can prove that. I'm going to go through several Old Testament scriptures, the majority of which are quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter number 3, where he's describing both Jew and Gentile that all are under sin. So this scripture They will not seek after God. That's all of man in his natural way and ability. And you know, you could say, well, there's people that go to church and there's people that enjoy church and and all of that's by tradition. But to really seek after God, and, and I believe you could just narrow it down to one thing, to seek after God in godly sorrow, repenting of their iniquity and sin. Mankind can't do that on his own because he's filled with corruption, he's flattering himself, and he's prideful in countenance. And all of those things result in an unwillingness to seek God because I don't need God because I'm right in my own eyes. So again, in Psalm 10, 
Verse number seven, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. So here we've got that coming out of the mouth again, the wickedness that's on the inside. I've heard it said this way, and I think it's very fitting, that the bucket of the mouth can only draw out from the well of the heart. So water may be coming out of the bucket of the mouth, but it's drawing it out of the inward corruption of the heart. So again now, outwardly wicked because of inward corruption. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now this is, this is so important for us to understand that David is going to put almost these exact same words in Psalm 53, verse 1 and 3. I'm going to read there now, and then we'll look at these. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So repeated twice in the Old Testament, almost word for word, and again is going to be repeated in Romans chapter number three, that the transgression, the fool, they say there is no God, they are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there's none that doeth good. And then you've got the Lord looking down upon man. God is taking account of man. Well, when I look at man, I see some that are wicked, but I see some that are a little better and that are decent people and, and good people and fine people in the world. But before God, as God looks down upon the children of men, this is what God sees. And God, I believe, judges righteously, fairly, and rightly. So God's judgment, as he looks down on the children of men, they are all gone aside. Every one of them is gone back. They are all together become filthy. So as God looks at man, he doesn't see anybody of his, <coughs> of his own merit, of his own work, and of his own good that's doing anything right. 
God says, they're all filthy, and there is none that doeth good. So I feel like that that says it well enough. I believe we can understand exactly what God is saying when he says there's none. No, there's not one that does good. No one. But to add the emphasis in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 and in Romans 3, he says every time there's none that doeth good and just to make sure that I get it, just to keep me from saying, well, wait a minute, there are a few. God says, no, not one. Adding that exclamation point to the end of it, no, not one. There's not a single individual person that's doing good on his own. He cannot do good. They're all filthy. They're all corrupt. They've all gone aside. They've all went their own way. I believe this is what John sees in Revelation chapter 5. The strong angel proclaims who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And in Revelation 5 verse 3, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book and look thereon. There was none worthy of their own merit, of their own ability, and of their own works. They were all corrupt. <coughs> Excuse me. And they were all fallen. So now again, in Psalm 36, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. So again, he says the transgression of the wicked, I can look at the lifestyle of man and I can recognize that there is no fear of God in his heart. You see, the life and the action and the behavior is manifesting the corruption and the sin and the wickedness that's in the heart. The outward work is nothing more than a manifestation of what's inside the man's heart. The problem is he's corrupt inwardly. His desires are corrupt. His uh, wants are corrupt. His uh, mind and heart is corrupt and he, he does not desire the right thing. He flattereth himself in his own eyes. When he looks on himself, he says, I'm better than everybody else. And I, I believe that anybody that's genuinely saved, that's what they thought before God came to their life. I flattered myself in my eyes. I thought that I was better than most people around me and that I was good and acceptable to God. Why did I think that? Inward. 
corruption. It was what was in my heart, the death that was in my heart that corrupted my thinking and my wants and my desires and left me in a state of helplessness because I was self-deceived and led astray by my own error. So if that's not enough, well, you know, not everybody's that evil. And I recognize that by man's standard and, and by my viewpoint, let's be honest, as I look, there's people that's better than other people. But God includes all together that there's none good, no, not one. And if Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and Romans 3 is not enough, we've got another one that states it explicitly in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 20. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good. Man, everyone is fallen. Everyone is corrupt. Everyone is sinful. Everyone. And there's none that does good and sinneth not. In Isaiah 53, a beautiful chapter of what Christ is coming to accomplish for man. But in the midst of that chapter, we get a view of what man is outside of the work of God. Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we, so again, everyone is included. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So God now, he looks at man and he says, everyone is wicked. Everyone has went his own way. And you know, to each individual, that may be something totally different. One man may run after some dark, wicked sin. Another man may try to be religious and do the right thing and be moral. But the bottom line is this, every man's going his own way He's doing what seems right in his own eyes and he's doing it to please himself. All have went astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isaiah 59, verse number 7. Their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. So here we see the actions of man and the wickedness that they commit. And the reason is because inwardly they're corrupt. They're following the corruption that's in their heart. So again, Isaiah 64, 
and verse number 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. So we are all an unclean thing. And now we're going to even look at the good side, what I would say is the good side of man, what you would say is the good side. God is even going to address that and say all of our righteousnesses. Well, I've done this and I've done that and the other. I've done these good works. We, uh, You've taught in our streets and we've worked many mighty works and all of these righteousnesses. Whether it's a church membership and a baptism, a profession of faith, good works, whatever that it might be. God says all of our righteousnesses, not singular, individual, each one on its own, but if you take all of my righteousness works, all of my good works in my mind and lump them together, they equal filthy rags. And that that picture there, and I realize it's not pleasant and it might be taboo, but it, the word means a, a used menstrual cloth. And so that is what God says that even my best works are in his sight. Therefore, God says that man in his best state is altogether vanity. So you're beginning to get a picture, what you say, of what man is before God Almighty. Even the good that we do is corrupted by the sin that's within us. In Haggai, you get a picture of that. If an clean thing touches an unclean, does that make it clean? The answer is no. So a little good sprinkled on top of all my corruption, a little salt sprinkled upon a rotten steak, or a little butter on a piece of moldy bread, it's still an abomination. And so our righteousness is even the best that we can do is filthy rags in the sight of God Almighty. So now in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse number 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then may he also do good that are accustomed to do evil. So forget about the Ethiopian part of the verse. I realize that both of these comparisons are meant to show the absurdity of the thought that I can do good. But just with the leopard, can a leopard in his mind change the pattern of spots that's on his fur? Think about what a foolish notion that that is 
that by thinking about it, that he would have the ability to change his pattern on his fur. Even if you shave it off, it's going to grow back the way it is. He's got no ability to change that. And the Ethiopian, I may be able to make it up. With makeup, I may be able to put bleach on, but I can't change the color of my skin. And so neither can man who is accustomed, he's inwardly corrupt, and that's the way he leans is towards corruption. He can't do good. God says that there's none that doeth good. God says that there's none that's righteous. God says there's none that doesn't sin. God says that everyone is dead in Adam. God says that all of the good of man is filthy rags. And God says you can't do anything about it. The Ethiopian cannot change his skin. The leopard cannot change his spots. And you cannot change the fact that you're a sinner. We can't overcome it. We may quit drinking. We may quit cussing. But that does nothing to change the inward man that is corrupt. Again, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. You want to talk about man's inability. Well, here is why man is unable. I believe we'll have it plainly. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Very familiar. You probably, you probably know it by heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the heart of man is deceitful above all. The, the number one quality that you can ascribe to the heart of mankind is that it's deceitful. Not my words, that's God's words. Now, who's it deceitful to? Well, I, I do believe my heart is and can be deceitful towards other people, but here the focus is on my heart and its deceitfulness towards me. My own heart deceives me. Mankind's own heart deceives their own self. And who can know it? God says, is there anybody that has the ability of their own strength and of their own power to recognize that their own heart is deceit, deceitful and deceiving them and leading them astray? Now the next verse, I the Lord. So there, there must be action from the Lord. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's every man born of Adam. Completely corrupt inside and out. An outward reformation, an outward doing better, an outward resolution 
and outward morality and religion. All that is, is painting the sepulchre white. Because inside, man is still dead. Romans 3, now we come to the New Testament. And I I freely recognize that man says, well, that was Old Testament. And that doesn't apply to man today because now we're under grace. Well, to prove the point that that still applies to man, the vast majority of the scriptures we just read from the Old Testament, they are quoted in the New. And the lump of them are right here in Romans chapter 3. And so to start that, and I'm not going to read through that. We've already read the source material. But you're free to do that. Look in Romans 3. And you'll see that in the New Testament, God's God's thought and God's viewpoint of man is the same as it was in the Old Testament. Mankind of the seed of Adam is still in the same shape whether it's before Jesus in the Old Testament or after his resurrection in the New Testament, man is still dead and corrupt and sinful and there's still none that does good of himself. Romans 3, 9, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Now, the wording here includes every person on the face of the earth. Jew, those people that are from and can trace their lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the Jew. The Gentile is every other race, tribe, and nation on the face of the earth. So are we included in this verse? Yes, we're included here. All of man is included in this verse. And all are under sin. Sin is ruling over all of mankind. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 3. We'll look back at this scripture in a future study. But here he says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So if there's people on the face of the earth that doesn't understand or see the gospel, and we're talking about more than just understanding that uh, Jesus has died for them. We're talking about more than just believing that Jesus was real and that he died on a cross and rose again. We're talking about an understanding of the good news that here I was under sin and God has delivered me from that sin. The gospel, the good news is hid to them that are lost. Now, why can't man see the good news of Jesus? Why can't man see that he's corrupt? Why can't man see he's a sinner? Why can't man see that he's in danger of the judgment? As plain as it is in the scripture, 
And as plain as it's been manifested, why can't man see that? Because it's hid. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I said, we'll look at the remainder of this scripture in one of the future studies. Maybe the next one, I think. But just right here, we're, we're trying to get a picture of man after the fall. What's his natural condition? And his natural condition is that he's outwardly wicked because of inward corruption. His heart is deceived and blind and he will not seek after God. And now we're introduced to the fact that we're under Satan's control. Satan has blinded man and man can't see it of their own power and ability. Well, I'll talk them into it. We'll see Satan has man blinded. So the ability to talk somebody into it with enticing words or persuasion, it's impossible because they're blinded and I can't cure blindness. And neither can you. The Lord Jesus can. We'll look at that in a future study. But right now, fallen man is under Satan's control. In Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 3, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So even, even them that are saved, they were in this condition. They absolutely were in this condition before they were saved. All of man that's of the seed of Adam is found to be in the condition that we've looked at all through the Bible. So even them that are quickened, they were in that state. Something happened that brought them out of that state. They were in that state before that event, though. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So in times past, we walked according to the course of this world. I done just like every other man that had ever been born. I turned aside. I went my own way. I served my own self and my own, uh, my own wicked desires. And I went away from God. And I was underneath the power of the devil. And now those that remain lost, those that are saved, they're no longer under the power of the devil. But those that are lost, they're still under the power of the devil. The spirit that now presently at this time, is working in those that are the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation 
So again, all, every man and every woman, even the Ephesian churches, and that's who he's speaking about here when he says all, even the Ephesian church people that were saved in the kingdom of God, that were children of God by the operation of the Spirit, even they had their conversation, their behavior in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You know what they were doing? They were doing what they thought was right. They were doing what they wanted to do. And they were doing what made them happy. come by natural produce. Natural germination is going to produce a tomato seed. That's all that it can produce. And so here is man and naturally he's born. You know what that seed is naturally going to produce? A child of wrath. One that opposes the way of God that sins and that seeks to please himself. Again, in Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind. Their mind is empty of the things that are of God, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So connect this back now to what we read in 2 Corinthians 4, and you'll see that the devil's got man blinded. He's holding man in ignorance. He's holding man in sin. And man is unable to get out from under that of his own ability. Man is blind. Why are the Gentiles, why are these unregenerate, unsaved people, why are they walking in sin? It's because they're corrupt and they're blinded and they're under the power of the devil. They're alienated from the life of God that is in them. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They're past feeling. They're they're not convicted about the sin that they do, but it's justified and it's right in their own eyes because they're deceived in their heart and they're corrupted and that's their nature. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. So again, Paul is writing to the pastor, Titus, and he says, look, 
Even we were in this condition. And again, this is another scripture we'll look at in another study to come. But look at where we were. Look at what we were. We were the same as the Gentiles and the unbelievers are now. Anybody that's saved can look back in their life and see and recognize that they are sinful, that they were sinful, that they were fallen, that they had no desire for God until something happened. That is the case for everyone that is saved. On his own, man has no inclination whatsoever to come to God for salvation. Whether that's the man in the ditch line drunk, the man shooting himself up with drugs, the adulterer that shacked up with another man's wife, or the moral person sitting down at the church house on the second row, does not matter. There is no inclination in any man that is unsaved to come to God for salvation of his own nature and of his own desire because he's dead in trespasses and sins. And so, with what we've looked at just in these few scriptures, and I fully recognize that there's much more, and maybe maybe you've even thought of some as we've went through what little bit we gathered together. Where is man in his natural state? So this is just a few points now. This is not mine. We've, we've looked at these scriptures, and we've drew these points out of the scripture. Man is outwardly wicked and inwardly corrupt. That's the heart and the mind. The desires and the will and the intent are corrupt. And remember, that is manifested in outward wickedness. The reason why man sins is because inwardly he is a sinner and dead and under the power of the devil. Man on his own is unwilling to seek God. God says that now, not me. But the Word of God says, well, there are some people that seek God. No, not according to the Scripture. There's none that seek God. Man is unable to change himself. He's not able to do better. Any more than the leopard can change his spots. Man can't help himself of his own power and his own ability. Man cannot freely choose the Lord because man is bound in sin and he's under Satan's control. The devil is his father. Remember what the Lord told the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. So my question now, just from the scripture, is man a free moral agent? Is he in any way able to choose and to do the right thing? Can he choose not to sin? No, not by the scriptures. He's a sinner because he's fallen. Can he choose God on his own? Not according to scriptures. 
He can't choose God on his own. He's got no desire to. Can he do good? There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Man on his own is without any hope. He is not in any facet of the word a free moral agent. I hope and I pray that you can see that through the scriptures, not because I said it, but through the scripture that we've looked at today. I I want you to go back through and listen again. I want you to search the scriptures yourself. I want you to know this is what the Bible says. Man is completely corrupt inside and out. So that's, that's the end of this study. And in another week, I'm going to try to set these to come out a week apart. Next time, I want to study a free choice or divinely influenced I believe we can already see the answer to that question because of the corruption of man. And that's really the backdrop that has to be set always. We've got to see man as he really is. He of himself has no redeeming quality. So I hope and pray that that you'll give the Scripture some thought that you'll take into mind what the Bible says and prayerfully consider the Word of God. I appreciate each one of you taking the time to listen. I hope and pray the Word of God be a help to you, to your family, to your ministry, and may we all grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Pray for us.